0: Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books.
1: Happy Monday, everyone. It's a whole new week, and I went on week because I was doing book research adventures up in Salem, Massachusetts. It was amazing. Anyway, that was really cool. But I am back now and we are back at it with a fantastic fantasy author that I can't wait for you to meet. And I <laughs> the show was starting. In typical Lisa style, you guys know better. I was making sure how to pronounce Zachary Is it Hagen. Is that how you pronounce your last name?
0: Yay.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> I asked him in the show. Hey guys, we're totally professional here. So I'm. If you haven't read Zachary yet, I'm going to go ahead and read his bio here, so you can get to know him, and then we're going to talk fantasy books today. I'm so excited. So anyway, Zachary Hayden is a Minnesota-based fantasy author and editor. He lives there with his wife, Claudia, and their dog, Flynn. When he isn't busy writing his next book or working with an editing client, you can often find him walking around the neighborhood or up hiking. You can learn his website, and they put a link to his website right there on the blog talk site if you're listening live or it's just later. You can click that link in time and go check out his books. And I don't want to tell anymore. Zachary, you there? I am. Yay. Thanks for being on today. So you have a new book called Eternity's Mirror and it's part of the series. Do you want to tell people about the books? Run out
0: and grab it. Yeah. So it's a sequel to Eternity's Well, and they're both part of the series, Eternal Chronicles. And the series follows a story uh, predominantly of Elior Barbadania, a bastard prince who loses his brother and has to figure out where he went. Um, of course, the whole series isn't just about that, but that's where it starts out in Eternity's um, Well. And we, can, we see the continuation of that adventure and that storyline in the second book, Eternity's Mirror.
1: And does Eternity's Mirror stand alone, or should people go after and read the first book first?
0: People should definitely read the first book first um, if they want to fully understand everything. I feel like there's enough information in the second book that someone could pick it up and still enjoy it, but you're going to enjoy it more if you've read the first book.
1: Okay. And uh, high fantasy, this one, does it start in our world and then go there? Or did you build a whole brand new world from the ground up?
0: It is a whole brand new world. Um, Readers will feel comfortable in it. There's stuff like cell phones and things like that. So it's kind of an urban fantasy, but it breaks from the idea that urban fantasy happens in our world. Okay. Okay, so I
1: like that. It's so kind of like a parallel universe, maybe?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you could think of it like that, like a potential universe that exists somewhere out there. Okay, and
1: are there other creatures, you know? Like, I'm always kind of told in and the, the orcs and things like that. Do you have other than that, or is everybody human?
0: Yeah, so the the world that we're introduced to first is divided into six different countries one is made entirely of no people there is a of course humans elves dwarves uh fairies um and jin which are sort of like but they're closer to the arabic tradition of where those stories and myths started
1: oh very cool and it, it, do you see much more books in this world or is, are these two it? Do you, do you have ideas for many, many books in this world?
0: Um, so I am planning a five-book arc. I am about 45% of the way through the first draft, the third book. So I'm anticipating um, an October or November release for that one. Um, yeah, that's clipping along and then I'll have um, the last two in the main series um, releasing next year. I have a couple ideas for some spin-offs that would take place before the series started. Um, but the main arc of story will be finished in five books.
1: Very cool, well. and what came first to you was it this this alternate world, or was it the characters how what was the inspiration behind it?
0: I'd say that the the world started forming first um you know i I loved a lot of stories growing up, and so i I read The Chronicles of Narnia series when I was a kid, and that uh definitely influenced it, so did um The Last Airbender, um, Tolkien's work, um, The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Paolini, um, even some of Marissa Meyer's series, The Lunar Chronicles, kind of pieced its way into it in the way that I approached world building in it.
1: I love that. As you as you're writing these books, are you a big time plotter like you have your idea already read all through the fun
0: or are you discovering your world as you as you write them? You know, it's kind of a combination. I think the main plot points, the main story beats I know, but I was kind of surprised even this last week writing, um, filling in the details, I think, is often where I find my surprises in the story, where where I'm getting to experience the first time, even though I know like what's going to happen, like the main plot points. The meat of the story is really where all those details and specifics are. So I have a plot that I follow, but I also... I leave a lot of room for creativity um, in the middle
1: of the process <laughs> as well. Nice. So you give yourself a little wiggle room in case a great idea hits.
0: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it does happen because, you know, I can plot out a book and feel like I have the right three and I get to a chapter and it's just not flowing. And to me, that's a the, the signal that, okay, it sounded good when I was plotting, but this, doesn't make sense. (laughs) Sometimes stuff changes or gets tweaked. Yeah, like I had this (laughs) experience this last week where I was writing and I just, I couldn't figure out why I was having such a hard time sitting down. And I realized I am rushing through these chapters, um, trying to fit it into the same length as the previous two books. But I'm going to need to go back and redo several chapters so that they're longer, and then kind of cut them in half because I have now realized that this book is going to be at least thirty to forty thousand words longer than the, than the oh, first no. <laughs> two entries in the series. <laughs> so it's it's going to be a bigger book. Oops. <laughs> Oops. So I,
1: that kind of yep. details into, I, I want to ask you, since you edit, it, you're an editor and a writer, how does that affect you really good at taking off one hat and putting on the other? Because I have an editor and who have tried to write, and they just get squished into rewriting this in through a chapter because, you know, they want it to be exactly right before they move on. Is it hard for you, being an editor, to set that eye to just get the words on
0: um, It can be. Um, So I've made a rule for myself that I don't go back and edit. I don't go back and redo anything until the first draft is completely done. So I am okay with the first draft being a dumpster fire. And then I'll go back and do my false edit. (laughs) I will rewrite things, pull out the words that I know. They're crutch words. And then I work with another editor um, to help me polish because I am a firm believer that you need at least two sets of eyes on a book before it reaches anyone that you're expecting to pay for it.
1: For sure. For sure. And I know that uh, sometimes I can read it and my brain fills in words that are there or you know, I, it makes total sense when I put it down because I know what's happening in my head, and I'll get notes from my editor that are like, okay, I'm sure this is clear in your head, but it's not hitting the page yet. <laughs> like, dang.
0: Right, yeah. You know,
1: so having and two sets of eyes are, is good.
0: Yeah, and for me, those two sets of eyes are super important. And I have beta readers and um, other people that will read it before going out, and then – because my process works the way it does, I will look for things and I'll go back to places where I know it needs work. Um, but I don't actually fully read through my book um, from cover to cover, so to speak, until I'm proofreading it. Because I can do the proofreading myself pretty pretty well, um, but I actually have to go – I can't read it all the way through or I get so familiar with the story that I don't catch things when I proofread it. <laughs>
1: Right, right. <laughs> so I was gonna ask you, um, why why fantasy? Do you have other genres that you have little ideas dancing around or is are you is fantasy right in you know, is that is that what's in your lane? Why why does that pull at you?
0: Yeah, well I mean, I think that like many people in my age group, I grew up with Disney and so fantasy was such a big part of that but I definitely have other things kind of on the back burner right now that are just kind of waiting for the right time to be written. I have a sci-fi story that I would love to write. Um, I have oh. sort of a paranormal, um, that meets small town America story <laughs> that I have sort of bubbling trying to form the complete oh, idea for it. it. So,
1: uh-huh. so I'm not, Yeah,
0: I'm not pigeonholed into strictly high fantasy, um, but I definitely like the the fantastical side of fiction where you can sort of make anything happen.
1: Right, right. I know I write paranormals, and for me, I enjoy having that escapism away from you know the mess of the world you can jump in where magic really does happen and those kind of things always attract me is that escapism i like a, and i like that when i'm reading too i like a good escape from i'm not one who's going to pick up a political thriller typically because I have enough of that in real life. <laughs> I won't, when I read, I want it to right. be far away. Um, you know, so I I definitely see the attraction there for that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I'll. my books have some politics in them, but, it's you know, it's fantasy politics. I mean, who wants to be bored by all of the partisan debates in our world and we can learn about world conquests between (laughs) countries of different species and ideals.
1: Right. Right. For sure. (laughs) Uh, So our listeners are always really curious about your journey to getting a book published because everybody's so different now and there's so many different paths to getting your book out there. So what Mm -hmm. did you always want to write a book or did you become an editor and then get a book idea? How did everything happen for you? How did it unfold?
0: Yeah. So I actually started out, um, well, I, I've always loved writing. Um, but that didn't immediately lead me to writing as a career. I started out actually as an English teacher who had taken several creative writing classes and enjoyed it. And I had this, you know, thought of a story. I had the first 25,000 words of maternity's well-written when I graduated college. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I was going to get to it, but then I had this great opportunity. Um, I, I got sick and I needed to take a quarter off of work. Um, and I had some personal stuff going on that I had to leave the, the job that I was at. So, you know, for nine weeks, I didn't have anything else to do. And I thought, well, I have this book that's about a third of the way done. Maybe I should finish writing it. So I did. I wrote the rest of Eternity's well. And then I had this manuscript and I had done a ton of research YouTube videos with other authors, um, and I was trying to decide between querying it or self-publishing, and then I came across this YouTuber um, or BookTuber, um, Bethany Atuzada, and she has her own imprint, her own publishing house that she works within to publish her books, and I thought, well, that's a really interesting idea. So I started my own publishing house, um, First Horizon Publishing, and... I found an editor to work with, and she she helped me um, to hone the book, to get it ready. I distributed it to data readers, got feedback there, and found a cover designer, um, formatted the book, which I've since redone the cover and the formatting just because I wanted to match the second one because I feel like it was better. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I published it through through my imprint using a few different print-on-demand places and, um, of course, Kindle. Um, and so it's, it's out there, and it's under the name of my imprint. Um, so it's sort of... Indie publishing, sort of self-publishing, because I own the publishing house. Um, Right. But we've also started working with with other small authors. You know, very very selective process at this point. We're not taking on a ton of projects, but we do have one other um, book that First Rising will be publishing this year. Oh,
1: very exciting. exciting. Yeah. That's very cool, and and I love that uh, you know there's there's so many options now. When I started ages ago, there was pretty much one path. Self publishing was just starting, and and but you you got an agent, you got a publisher, and I can remember the fear of working on a book and wondering if this will ever meet reader's eyeballs ever, because if I can't sell it, it goes nowhere. And I love now, now I'm hybrid, so I'm putting them out myself and with a publisher, and I love the freedom of you can write a book that maybe is harder to in into one genre, and it can find an audience. you can put it out you know yourself and like or like you did, make your own imprint, that kind of thing and I just I love that that there are more books out there for readers um you know because there are you don't have to go through the teeny tiny gatekeepers as the publishing houses eat each other um <laughs> So cool. Right, I think that's and there's really a lot of value. Cool. I
0: think in doing hybrid, yeah, mm-hmm. I I love how publishing has evolved because I, I know for one of my projects, I feel very strongly that I want that to be you know traditionally published. I would like another imprint to take it. Um, I think you know for my first book, it was just such a precious idea to me that I didn't trust another that I didn't specifically choose with it. I didn't trust um, a publisher to, to honor the vision for that series um, On it by itself, you know, because right. you can sell a book and market it as series potential in the traditional publishing world, but there's no guarantee that if it that doesn't sell well, if they'll pick up the second one, which right. I think that the self-publishing space is uniquely suited to series. Because just like people like to binge watch TV, they love to binge read. So the, mm-hmm. fast, the fastest way to get things out publishing. So that was for sure. my main reason for doing, you know, indie hybrid sort of, I'm going to make a publishing house, but it's still going to be me that's publishing it for this <laughs> series. Um, <laughs> just because I'm like, I got to get them out and they're going to be good quality. They're going to go through editing. They're going to go through all these different steps that I know that the publishing um, process demands, but it's going to be faster than a two-year waiting period for the powers that be to decide that now is the right time to release this for the market.
1: <laughs> right, right, for sure. Um, and when when you were coming up with this idea and you said the world came to you first, um, what – do you know what inspired it? Or just one day were you going, huh, what if, you know, this happened? How how did it all come together for you?
0: You know, I had watched and read so many things that I think that all the building pieces um, were there. Um, I was actually working at a summer camp as a counselor, and I have horrible ADHD, but it worked to my favor in this case because <laughs> I would be, you know, standing off to the side supervising the kids, but my brain would be wandering while I'm watching. And, you know, my brain just sort of put together this world, and I'm like, this is a great setting for a story. And I came up with all of these, this idea that there would be six different races, um, all intelligent, all working symbiotically, but, you know, not a 100% friendly um, because otherwise there's no conflict. And then, you know, as I was coming up with the political systems for the different countries, um, Elior and his twin brother, Elian, sort of came to me because their mother was a princess who happened to have an extramarital affair, and their father left for a uh, an ambassador position um, right before they was, she was going to tell him. And then, you know, this idea of this very tight-knit family unit that's torn apart became such a playground for an amazing story to just blossom from that.
1: And do you think there were you drawn to writing YA age characters because you were teaching then, or or did the story just fit better with younger characters?
0: You know, it's sort of between YA and adult. The characters are between nineteen and twenty two at the start of the series, so it's not exactly YA. But it's definitely YA in style, and it's largely because I enjoyed reading those books, even into my 20s. Um, but I always thought it was ridiculous that these 16-year-olds were going off on these magical adventures. Right. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. I love teaching. I think that there are wonderful 16-year-olds that are a chair, but the majority of them just would fall apart if they actually had to do that. So you you have adult brains writing (laughs) people that are 16, 17 going off on these amazing adventures, and I'm like, "Mm, it's not realistic. For me, I would believe it more (laughs) if they were at least 20, because a 20-year-old is still incredibly whiny and so underdeveloped, but they are at least far enough along that they can handle a little bit more of this incredible weight that a magical world puts on Mm -hmm. someone.
1: Right, right. They're not going to curl up in a ball.
0: Is, and... Yeah, which is part of the reason also why I did it um, through my own imprint, just because I would have had to age the characters down and change a lot of things for it to make sense um, for the YA right. age group. Um, whereas with indie and self-publishing, there's this great kind of niche that um, myself and other authors are carving out called New Adult, Right. Which is basically the combination of things from the adult categories of fiction and young adult, where you have the YA style of stories where it's not constant political upheaval and constant sex and all these different things. It's a lot cleaner and more in the style of a YA, but you have an older people that are. on the college like or something. They are their age. Yeah, like their college age.
1: Right. And do you uh, do you watch some of the fantasy shows and, and movies? You know, do some of them, are, do you have favorites that we should all watch? Do some of them inspire you to go, oh, my gosh, I need to get back to the keyboard, um, you know, that kind of thing? We've all been binging during the yeah. plague. So
0: <laughs> I would say one thing that was inspiring, I don't know if it's, still on prime, I hope it is because it's fantastic. Um but Grim was really interesting. Oh to I love
1: Grimm. yes
0: it. it's great. Um that actually sort of the, the whole culture of the Vestin is sort of the background inspiration for my bird meets paranormal um I have. I actually have a working title for that. I'm thinking it may be a serial fiction series, almost like a sitcom. Um, it's ah. called White Raven, and it's about a gated community um, where one human family happens to move in, and everyone else is something else.
1: Oh, <laughs> and they all have to hide it because the humans moved in?
0: Yep, except it doesn't stay hidden for long.
1: I bet. <laughs> yeah, I loved Grimm and how um, you know they they live among us kind of thing. And I I'm always a sucker for that kind of that kind of show. And did you watch um, Umbrella Academy? I loved that one. With, I haven't gotten um, to
0: it yet, but I I want to. It's on my list.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. It's really good, but the time traveling in it is wild and, and it's, it's a really great, fantastic fantasy kind, but fantasy, but in a reality, you know, kind of world, kind of like grim, um, mm-hmm. trying to think of right. some other ones that were in that same kind of thing. Cause there's so many high fantasy ones too, that like, you know, Game of Thrones was giant. And now that wheel of time show on, uh, think that's Amazon Prime, right? But um, right, it. I'm I'm always a sucker for the ones. Right, yeah, but I'm always a sucker for the ones that manage to get some fantasy, you know, under the humans' noses in our in our world.
0: <laughs> right, and that was one reason I really enjoyed um, like the Percy Jackson books as well. All three, I guess, of the series that Rick Riordan wrote in that universe
1: oh right didn't that become a movie too I think I don't know
0: it became a really horrible movie <laughs> oh no <laughs> I, yeah I loved those I loved those books and then I was super excited um, actually I watched the lightning thief first and then I read the books and I was like that was a bad movie and then they came out with <laughs> um, Sea of Monsters and it was even worse I'm like mm. They better not make another one. So I think now (laughs) that Disney has acquired Fox, they have plans to make a Disney Plus series out of it, which I would definitely watch. Um, But it also has told me that if my series ever gets that popular, I am going to insist on script approval before they ever start shooting anything.
1: (laughs) Well, I do I do think no. that when they uh, yeah, right, when they adapt a series of books, it's so much better if they do it TV style so that they can really dig into it because when they take a series of books and then they try to make a movie, they always seem to, you know, leave out so much that it doesn't always
0: stay mm-hmm. together, you know. It loses its nuance. I think even what um, the newer adaption of the Lemony Snicket books did on Netflix, I think even that was a great um, solution where each yes. book was divided into two larger episodes. Um, I think yes. that's a great approach. Um, but Lemony Snicket's books were relatively short. I think that I feel like my first book would work best as a miniseries. You know, it could be a TV series, but then at that point, you would have to add stuff in, which is fine. I think that that could be done, right. but it would definitely, at that point, I think especially since I've taken, or I will be taking a class in screenwriting this summer for my master's, I, at that point, I would be like, mm, I'd like to at least be on the team of writers so that we don't add things that <laughs> don't make sense. Right.
1: Right. Well, we're running out of time, but how can readers get in touch with you if they read your book and they're excited? Are you on social media?
0: I am. So Zachary Hagan underscore writes on both TikTok and on um, Instagram. And then, of course, I have my website, Zachary Hagan There's a Sign up to get onto my newsletter for that, and um, I will actually be starting a blog on there as well.
1: Ah, great. So everybody click that link that is on the Blog Talk site and get in touch with Zachary. Thanks so much for being here today. It was great having you on.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Thanks for joining us on Book Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.